right. It's great to have you back, and thanks so much for staying. Um, we welcome you back on, on the internet. Thank you for tuning in, and all of you that are still here, praise God, a bunch of you stayed. Um, so, as I mentioned, I've already worked my way through this devotional um, without excuse, and when I do that, I can show you my notes here in the back of it. Uh, I just kind of make myself notes so I can file it into my system and be able to retrieve the information later. Um, and one of the things I do also is when I read something really insightful from a book, I'll just journal that in a journal, a standalone journal that lets me know that particular insight is really life-changing for me. And I did that uh, on one entry in this book, one entry, July the 30th and without excuse and uh, that is about um, milk and lactase as an enzyme form in the uh, lining of the small intestine it talks about milk sugars and other things and about uh, maybe you have uh, like you're intolerant to milk or maybe someone in your family has had issues with milk that particular devotional will answer a lot of questions for you and so for me, it was just interesting because I love milk, and my, uh, my dad never could drink milk. I never could figure out why. Um, but I, I love it to this day, and it's kind of interesting, some of the insights that you get out of that. So you're going to find insight after insight after insight like that. So I just encourage you to take the time and read through some of those and let God grow you through that. Um, it was a great lunch, and so uh, thanks again to the food services team for making that possible. That's always a blessing. We appreciate you so much. I think, yes, I have to let them know. So I think that's all we need to say here with the introduction for the third session. Julie, come on up. Thank you much. Yes. And we're going to be talking about the Ice Age and Mammoths. Do we have that coming up? Okay. So... Sometimes people are saying, hey, how, does, how, do, how do I place Ice Age and Mammoths in with the biblical worldview? Where do I put it on the timeline? And what about those mammoths? You know, what are they really? So I'm going to look at this today, and so we get a, a big view, and I will tell you right off the bat, there was only one Ice Age, and so we will walk through that too. So I know that you guys probably like the movie, The Ice Age. And then you're saying, do I let my kids watch this? How do I explain the Ice Ages? Because, you know, evolutionary view has it, hey, there could be 17 Ice Ages, or there's four major Ice Ages and 50 minor Ice Ages. They always have these ideas going on. How do we have these Ice Ages, and what makes them? So I actually like mammoths a lot. Um, I know uh, when I was a kid, I read about this one, this Beckendor ma mammoth. Um, this is up in Siberia. There was a a surveyor, and um, as they were surveying, they noticed the spring runoff had carved another area for the water to go, and, and they noticed this, and this is what they wrote in their journal. A, a black, horrible, giant-like mass was thrust out of the water, and we beheld a colossal elephant's head armed with mighty tusks with its long trunk moving in an unearthly manner as though seeking something lost. And they're going, let's rope it. So they rope it, and they're trying to pull on it, and they realize, oh, the feet are frozen in the river. Okay, we'll wait. So the next day, they were able to pull it up on land. They took, cut the tusks off. They look in the stomach. 
found pine needles, and then the waters had undercut the bank and washed the uh, mammoth out into the ocean. So they weren't able to have it. Or this is the Berezovka mammoth. Um, uh, one of the people in the village was out and he found this half-eaten one and looked at the tusks and he said, I'm bringing those back, so he cut them off. And then um, news got back to Petersburg um, that, hey, there was a mammoth, so they headed on out. Meanwhile, the wolves had eaten a lot of the facial part of that mammoth. But you can see that mammoth there. There's the Berezovka mammoth. And notice there's really not much hair. See the reddish part right there? There's not a lot of hair there, just letting you know. One of the things with this mammoth, they, when they examined, there was dust in its lungs. Now hold on to that idea. We're going to walk that through. But there was dust, dust in the lungs. Now, in 1977, here's baby Dima mammoth. And uh, they were bulldozing for a gold mine. And the bulldozer driver said, oh, wait. And they were able to save this mammoth here. Again, they found dust in its lungs. And then here we see is another one from Siberia, May 2007. I mean, what does it look like to you? Elephant, that's right, looks like an elephant. And that's what a mammoth is, is of, of the elephant kind. That's right. And again, they found the dust in the lungs. We'll talk about this at the very end, but I just want to bring that up. So how many woolly mammoth carcasses have been found in Siberia? Not that many. Less than 100. That's it. What they mostly find are the woolly mammoth bones, the tusks. That's what they're finding. You say uh, they're finding bones of maybe 10 to 40 million mammoths. And they say, how do they, how do they know this? Well. The, the tusks, the Arab men really liked to have these ivory tusks on their knives. And so there was a lucrative business between Siberia and the uh, Arab nations for this back in the day. So they've just kind of calculated it from that. But here we see along the river here, there's about 8,000 woolly mammoth bones from only 156 mammoths. So there are piles of mammoth bones up there in places. Now, what other bones have they found in Siberia? Well, they found woolly rhinoceroses and horses and reindeer and bison and brown bear and cave lion and moose and Siaga antelope. And Siaga antelope, they actually need a very sturdy ground to run on and beaver. And then we have badgers and ferrets, and they need to have places to burrow underground. So you can see a fairly extensive list of animals that lived up there, not just mammoths. but this was what Siberia looks like today. How could those animals live there? I mean, when you start looking at it, this is what Siberia is like today. Winters are bitterly cold. Uh, the land is boggy in the summer, so you don't have really the sturdy ground because they have a lot of permafrost. Uh, no green vegetation until July. And then if you're a mammoth, you need 400 or 650 pounds of food per day. And if uh, they need 350 to 50 gallons of water per day. So a lot of, you know, you look at the land of what it looks like today, and then you say, wait a minute, that, that doesn't fit with what the bones they found and the mammoth. What, wh what's going on here? Well, we're going to look at the ice age, and then we'll come back to our mammoths, and then you'll see the pieces come together. What is needed for an ice age? You need cooler summers and heavier snowfall. This is what will produce it, and what will produce it? The Genesis flood. The Genesis flood made the one and only ice age. So when we look at our timeline again, 
We start here's creation about 4000 BC. Here's the flood 2345 BC. And then right after that is where you'll have the ice age right here. About 500 years to build up, 200 years to melt down. So during the, is this feedback on mine? Oh, that's what you were saying, the hair gets in the way and the. So the fountains of the deep uh, during the flood, they burst open and you could say a lot of hot water came on. And so it'd be like, think of the fountains of the deep uh, with the, um, like the, the old faithful. This is where you get a lot of hot water coming up out of the, out of the uh, when the fountains of the deep burst open. So the ocean temperatures would have increased. You'd have like 86 degrees, not too hot to kill life, but not too cold. And today's temperature is 39 degrees. So, you know, just think it's a nice bathtub. That's what it is. From pole to pole, that's what you'd have. At the same time, during the flood and after the flood, you had lots of volcanoes erupting. And the volcanoes would shoot the ash into the air. And when the ash goes into the air, it covers up the sunlight. The sunlight cannot penetrate through. So you're going to have a colder experience. So let's see, think about this. There have been in the past where volcanoes have erupted. This one is in Tambora over in Indonesia. And this was called the year without a summer. All that ash went into the sky, did not allow the sunshine to get through. And because of that, in New England, it snowed in the summertime. And during that year, there was uh, actually 80,000 deaths worldwide because of this one volcano had spewed, spewed all these aerosols, all this ash into the air, which did not allow the sunlight to come in to warm up the earth. Let's look at this compared to others. Here's Tambora right here. This is about the size of its eruption. Here's Mount St. Helens, a little tiny thing right here. Now you'll notice right here the eruptions uh, don't look very large compared to during the flood and right after the flood. This one right here, there's three from the Yellowstone. So as the earth was, the tectonic plates were being moved around. So you have a lot of heat being generated, volcanoes, thousands of volcanoes going off. You have the ash in the sky. It wasn't very a pleasant place to live right after the flood. So here are the two ingredients that are needed for, a, um, for an ice age. You need warmer oceans and volcanic ash. And when you have the warm oceans, it's from pole to pole, from top to bottom, very warm waters. So we see, look at the warm ocean waters. They evaporate up, they move onto the land, and in the higher latitudes, like Canada, northern United States, Siberia, now it will snow down and it just will pile up. So here we see the picture, warm ocean. Up it goes, goes onto land because the sunlight is being blocked out because of volcanic aerosols and ash. Now it precipitates out because it's cold. It's very cold. Imagine snow blitzes every week. This is like those northeasterners that you'd have up in the New England. Imagine that every week you'd have this kind of snow piling up, piling up, piling up. And as it piles up, it then will go from the snowflake down into the glacial ice. It starts packing on down. So you'd have to have cooler summers so it doesn't melt. 
what would be the Twin Cities? Here's the Twin Cities right here. Twin Cities summertime temperature, 30 degrees. It's not going to melt. How much snow would have had to fall in the Twin City an ice, for an ice sheet of 1,000 feet thick? You'd have to have 4,000 inches of powder snow every year as it packed on down, year after year after year. And this is going to be 500 years of building this up because of the ash in the sky, the aerosols in the sky. Notice again, the winters would be very much warm. It does not take cold to make the ice age. It's not cold. Think about, like, I know in Minnesota, when do we get most of the dump of snow? It's like in the spring of the year. We just get, in March, we just get loaded down with snow. When it's very cold in March, I mean, very cold like in January, we don't get as much snow because we have to have that gulf water coming up and it hits the cold and now it snows out. So 30% of the land was covered in ice. Notice right here, you can see Alaska, Canada, Northern America, Greenland, over here to Europe. Then in the mountains, here's Siberia. We go to Himalayas. Now we go down to New Zealand. Australia, nothing. Africa, one place, Mount Kilimanjaro. And then right here, we see the mountain, Andy Mountains in Antarctica. So when we look at it, it's only 30%. It's not 100% covered. At the height of the Ice Age, it'd only be 30% covered. And here's Mount Kilimanjaro. Evolutionists go like, what? Glacier snows on a tropical mountain? Are you serious? How did this get here? This doesn't make sense. So they're confused by seeing all the glacier on this. But of course, you know, the mountain was so high, it was cold. And so when it rained, it turned into snow, actually. And then that's how it got there. So only 30% of the land was covered by ice. But I want you to look here. Look at North America. Do you notice up in Alaska? Look at that green stuff right there. Yep, the coastline actually is getting the warmth, and so the coastline is A-OK. -okay. It's a pla good place to be. Now, how do we know about where the Ice Age, where the, actually the glaciers went, or in the ice sheets went? The uh, glaciologists look at two things, moraines and striated boulder. Here's a striated boulder. It's, the, it's scratched with striations. And here's the moraine, which is just a pile of dirt. So as the glaciers are moving down and moving across things, they're grinding and they're scratching rocks and they're picking up rocks and then when they melt away, they just leave the rocks there. That's the moraines. And this is like what evidence they use for finding where the glaciers and ice sheets went. Now we're going to go down to Antarctica. Now down in Antarctica, this is a, 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 a gyre right here and it's just the way the flow of the waters are in Antarctica. And so imagine those 86 plus degree temperatures, very warm. And now as it goes around and around, this is the current of the ocean current there. Now the warm waters rise up, go onto the land, and it's very cold, and now it snows down. And the snow, well, you end up getting an ice sheet of 3,900 feet deep. That's right. Today, this is not happening. Today, Antarctica is a polar desert. And it said, even today, the polar regions are the driest on Earth, with the South Pole receiving less precipitation than the Sahara Desert. This is a desert, a polar desert. It's not because what happened is at the, when all the waters became like 39 degrees, or average 39 degrees, when it all cooled down, now there's nothing to evaporate up and to blow onto land. So there's no precipitation hardly coming onto Antarctica. 
So it's a polar desert. This is the remains of the Ice Age. That's what, when you see all that ice there, that is a remnant of the Ice Age, the one and only Ice Age. Greenland also experienced a lot of snow because look what's where its location. And you can see the location right here. So as the warm waters came on, it then it came onto the cold land and it would precipitate out as snow, as snow. So how thick were the ice sheets at the peak of the ice age? North America had 2,300 feet, Antarctica 3,900, and Greenland, the champ, 11,000 feet of ice. So how did the extra moisture affect the other parts of the world? You know, around the equator, it wasn't a cold landmass. It was warm. And so what you would have there now is it rained. And the Sahara Desert was not the Sahara Desert. They have now done satellite imagery, and they can penetrate through the sand, and they find rivers and lakes there. And what do they find? They find this. They call it prehistoric, but it's actually Ice Age art. It says the Sahara is a veritable art gallery of prehistoric paintings. The evidence is enough to show that the Sahara was one of the well-populated areas of the prehistoric world. In the inaccessible corners of the desert, literally thousands of figures of tropical and aquatic animals, enormous herds of cattle, hunters armed with bows and boomerangs, and even domestic scenes of women and children and their circular huts in which they lived. So during the Ice Age, if you lived in the Sahara, it was wonderful. It was a great place to be. And that takes us back up to Siberia and up to Alaska. Notice the black part. These are the mountain area. That would have been glaciated. But notice right here, this part right here would have been wonderful. It would have been like a grasslands. Yes. You know how it is where the buffalo are and how they go in the grasslands, those steps? Yes, that was what it was there. Yes. This whole Arctic Ocean was ice-free and warm. It was a great place for mammoths to multiply. And so Siberia was a huge grassland during the Ice Age. Not only were there other animals up there too, like the horses, and you remember my list of other animals, woolly rhinoceroses, horses, reindeer, bison, brown bear, cave lion, moose, Sayaga antelope. They could run on this. It was hard ground. It wasn't like the boggy stuff today. Then you had the beavers, and you also had the burrowing animals. They could burrow into that. So it was a great place for wildlife to populate right after they got off the ark. So that brings us to the mammoths. Yep, they got off the ark. And when they got off the ark, they began to multiply, and they spread out. And as they spread out, different characteristics would show it. And so you end up with, like, the African elephant. Ear looks like Africa. Indian elephant, ear looks like India. And then there's the mastodons, those are the woodland uh, elephant kind. And here's your mammoth. You got the top little head, sloping shoulders, and lots of hair on it. Yep, that's the mammoth. And of the mammoth types, there are, you can have a woolly mammoth, a steppe mammoth, imperial mammoth, and a Columbia mammoth. And if you're really into these mammoths, head over to mammoth site at Hot Springs, South Dakota. Uh, they are excavating. They have about more than 50 of them that they have. You can see just like that. They're leaving it like that. So you can see, and people are excavating new ones. But in the lobby, you can get your picture next to a 
Columbia Mammoth. There you go, so you can see that. You also can walk through there uh, during the Ice Age. Here's a mammoth bone shelter. You can actually walk in there. That's no issue. Just see what it's like. Now, when we have all this ice being piled up onto the land, that means the water is being taken out of the oceans. That means the sea level drops like 300 feet. And when the sea level drops to 300 feet, now we don't have any Bering Strait. We have where they can cross right on over. And so the animals and people can head down into the Americas. Here's our woolly mammoth hair. Yep, I brought some along right here. Here's some woolly mammoth hair. I'll bring it down in a minute. Uh, one part, they have three different types of hair. One is, outer part is like three foot long. And, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a fossil dealer because I love fossils and kind of stuff like that. So he's like, he's trying to sell this for mucho bucks. So I'm going like, he can't afford it, he can't afford it. So what he did was he tried to tease it apart, couldn't do that. So then he just cut it apart and he sold it so he can get his price. So here you can look at some mammoth hair. You can pass that down and around. No, some people want to ask, is it my husband's beard? No, it is a mammoth. And uh, they, um, they aren't able to take and sell mammoth hair out of Siberia anymore because there's really not that much. I mean, when you take a look at it, here's baby Dima, look at her hair right there, that's it. So there's not a lot of mammoth hair out there. And then of course we have the mammoth teeth. This is just a reproduction. They sell for like 800 to 1,000 dollars. So this is a smaller one, but you have two on the top, two on the bottom, and they just chew away like this, and they wear down, and uh, they have six sets of them that they go through. They're just like elephant teeth, but this is a very good copy of it, of what it looked like. But that's a mammoth tooth. Now, where do the mammoths live? There's the uh, distribution you can see around the world. You can see the dark brown right here, I mean the dark black right here, that's where they lived. And they actually call it a mammoth step. So they know what they needed in order to live. They needed that grasslands, that much food. Just think of like elephants in Africa, how, they, how much they have to have. Was there enough time in the, after the flood for the population of woolly mammoths to become so large? Yeah, so they did a study and they found that uh, African ele elephants doubling time of 10 to 25 years based on the fastest growth. The number of mammoths would have been several billion in 300 years. So it would have been fine. We could have as many mammoths as we do up there in Siberia and other parts of the world. Why would God have had an ice age? Well, it made the land bridges so the animals could cross on over. Here's a land bridge right here. See the continental shelf, this white part right here? See the continental shelf right there? The sea level dropped so much that that now became wonderful grassland, that continental shelf. So very easy for them to cross over and get into the Americas. Then they just headed on down. That's all they had to do. And that's what the people did too. Uh, here, see that little red dot right here? That's where the ark landed. So the animals had to spread out and fill the earth. We can see how they would get to the North America by going up through the, you know, Siberia and Alaska. But you say, well, how did the kangaroos get to Australia? They hopped. Yep. They hopped because here's the land bridge right here. And so all those marsupials headed on out to Australia. And then at the end of the Ice Age, that's when the sea level rose, and now those marsupials are stuck there. We have one marsupial here, it's a possum, but you know, the other marsupials are, are in Australia. And you say, well, why are there so many there? 
they figure now that the marsupials headed out of the ark faster than the placental animals. And placental animals, when they meet with the marsupials, they can just devour them and take over, and they're not as, they're a little bit more, um, you know, take part things. So take, can kill them off. The marsupials got to Australia first. Then the sea level rose. Now we don't have as many of those placental animals there. So that's why they're able, that's why Australia is known for that. So during the Ice Age in England, we have the coexisting of warm and cold climate animals. Weren't you surprised to know that hippopotamuses were in England? I mean, when you read about in the past of English history, they have hippo bones? Are you serious? How can that be? Well, that's because during the Ice Age, this was a very uh, not too hot, not too cold, great place for all these. And that's why they found all these bones here of the mammoths and reindeer and hippos. So here we have the Ice Age. Uh, this is the pre-flood. Here's the flood. And then right after it, 500 years to build up, 200 years to melt down. This is what's going to be happening is the melting down now. What is happening is here's the end of the flood. Now here's the temperature. Now look at how as it evaporates, when things evaporate, they cool off until about 700 years after the flood. Now the oceans are very cooled off, and now it just maintains their temperature for what it is today. What about those volcanoes erupting? You can see right here at the flood, oh, thousands of volcanoes erupting. Huge amount of dust going in, aerosols and ash going into the air. It would have clouded many things. And so here we see that as the earth was quieting down, we see that the volcanoes, well, they started simmering on down too. So we won't have as much aerosols, ash, into the air to block the sun. Where was man during the Ice Age? Well, we see there is the Tower of Babel, and we see right here now the scattering as they moved out. As they moved out, they would have been heading out, and they've been, uh, like here in Europe, they're bumping up against the Ice Age. They uh, lived in caves. Look at the ice sheet, it was huge. They were hunter-gatherers trying to figure out what life would be like. And cavemen, that was the best place to live. And then, now, the sun. The sun starts coming at the end of the ice age. It starts coming down, and it's melting those ice sheets. And when it starts melting those ice sheets, now you'll have the catastrophic flooding. Yes, catastrophic flooding. Now you'll have some of this minor little flooding, like what is happening up here in Washington State and Montana. Here's Montana. Here's Missoula. If you were in Missoula at the time of the Ice Age, you would be underneath 1,000 feet of water. This was a huge lake, all backed up right here by an ice dam. So it was all plugged right here. When that ice dam broke, all this water that's been backed up now floods across eastern Washington and down through here to the Pacific Ocean. If you go to Missoula, you can actually see, here's the lake level. Here's the strand lines right here. You can see them right here. Here's the strand lines. You can see where the Lake Missoula was. It was under 1,000 feet of water. So here's the Missoula flood. At one point, this ice dam broke. All this lake right here 
Lake Missoula emptied out in a few days. And as it did, it scoured through what they call now the channeled scablands, headed down to the Columbia Gorge, and then headed on out to the Pacific. Now the Pacific Ocean is filling up and other oceans are filling up with water. We will get it back up to the 300 feet that was where it had dropped. This is kind of the floodwaters of that catastrophic flooding that's going from the Lake Missoula. 80 miles an hour come rolling through and it's tearing up. If you go out there to those channeled scablands, you'll see these coolies. This is through basalt, lava rock. It's it eroded all this right here. And this right here is Dry Falls State Park in Washington. Right here is the waterfall. It is, would have been 350 to 400 feet high and over three miles long. You say, I don't, I don't know what that is. Okay, well, do you know Niagara Falls? Okay, Niagara Falls, imagine it two times as high and five times as wide. This is what you'll have roaring through this Dry Falls State Park right here twice as high, five times the width of Niagara Falls. That's what this was. That whole Lake Missoula was emptying out as it made its way to the ocean, gouging out that basalt, that lava rock. So all this water is coming back now. All the water is coming back into, because these ice sheets are melting, and now the sea level is rising. We come back up here to the Arctic Ocean area here, and you see the white here? This is the continental shelf. So all this area of the white would have been wonderful grasslands. Now the water is catastrophically rising so quickly. Now the, the mammoths are huddling on these high hills, which will become islands. And that's why we're able to find lots of bones on these islands, which were just high hills. And there wasn't enough food, so they end up dying out of starvation. Off the shore of India, People had traveled there and they had started filling a uh, civilization, a, a city here or a town or whatever you want to call it. So down here underneath the water, they're finding, yep, ancient artifacts, ancient city things. Same with like here off the shore of these ancient megalith structures are underwater between Japan and Taiwan. Look at this. That's because as the people left the Tower of Babel, they wanted to settle on the coastline. Now the coastline kept going down, down, down. Now it's coming up very quickly and the people have to move inland. Are we talking climate change? Yeah, we're talking major climate change going on here. Off the shore of Australia, you can see up here, there's this area. This area they're finding, oh, look at all these aboriginally stone artifacts. Yeah, because they lived on the coastline. Now the floodwaters were rising up again and so now they have to move inland leaving what they had behind. Now, what's happening around the Sahara and those places? The drying out starts because now the, the weather patterns have changed and they're not, this is not gonna be a well-watered place. Now, this is what you'll get. That's right. Now the drying begins and you end up with this dry area. And we see right here in, the, in Egypt, you know, here's this little ribbon of the Nile River. I, you know what, I was back there in the 1970s and I'm going like, you mean this is what the Nile and what it looks like right here? How are you gonna feed all these people they talk about in the Bible? This doesn't make sense to me. Ah, back during the time of the Bible, it was much well watered, it was a beautiful place. This is where you wanna raise things. I mean, when we read in the Bible, a land flowing with milk and honey in, in Israel, you're saying, hey, 
How that doesn't you know when I look at Israel today, are you serious? Are you serious? This doesn't look oops, I don't have that picture there. I'll back up. You know, it looks like a wasteland. And you're going like, how where's the milk and honey? Ah, back at that time, back at Exodus, it was because there was a lot more water falling. How about out in the southwest? Okay. Here is uh Salt Lake, but it's called uh, Lake Bonneville, and it was about the size of Lake Michigan. So the Great Salt Lake is six times larger and 800 feet deep. And there are 120 Ice Age lakes all around here. This was a great place to live, well watered. And sure enough, Mesa Verde's there. If you visited there, you're going like, really? This is where all these people live, seriously? Or maybe you've gone down to Chaco Canyon. Chaco Canyon in New Mexico is like the Washington, D.C. area for all those ruins that you see on the southwest. You go there and they're saying, Why, how do these people eat? Where do they grow their food? It is so dry there now. You want to talk about climate change? There's the climate change, right? Yeah, it's huge. What was happening? The people had to leave there. The people left because they could not grow their food. Now, with the, with the uh, drying out, now we have the dust. The dust is blowing. We have dust storms, like in the 1930s, uh, where they cover a tractor or a house so quickly. Same thing happening at the end of the Ice Age. Why do we have such gigantic storms, uh, dust storms? Cold oceans, cooler winters, drier atmosphere, stronger north-south temperature difference, and we have lots of this happening. So we have what are the mammoth bones found in? Lus. They're found in this lus. What is lus? It's this glacial wind-blown mineral silt. That's what lus is. And where do we find this lus? Well, here's again, the animals are covered up with it. Where do we find this lus? It's on the edge of where the ice sheets were. And this is actually, look on the bottom here, extremely fertile agricultural soil. So that's why Iowa farmland is so, I'm sure you guys would say you guys are better, right? Indiana's better than Iowa, but I'm from Minnesota. So we say Iowa has better. And that's why they have such great, because they're right on the edge of the ice sheet and that lus dropped there. And it, this is great to grow things in. It is ground up. It has all the good minerals for growing the plants. So that's what you have around the world. And what about like the mammoths? Here's that Berezovka mammoth. Uh, when you notice the wind was blowing with the dust, it turns itself like an animal would and just be covered up with the sand. Now remember I told you they found the dust in his lungs? Yeah, and that's what actually killed him because he suffocated from the dust. How, how, how did most of the animals die there in Siberia? Well, we've only found with the pieces of flesh, the carcasses, less than 100. So about one to two dozen had the large pieces of flesh. But most of them are covered, uh, the bones of, of these mammoths, the bones. That's because the climate was changing. There wasn't enough food, so they were dying out, and they just died there of starvation, and the bones were left. Then the dust storms covered them up after the fact. Whereas the other ones, you will find some dust in their lungs. Uh, have people really eaten mammoth meat? Really, would you eat half putrefied meat? You can throw it to the dog, they'll eat it, but that's about it. So here, at the end of the flood, 
Right here, the number of woolly mammoths increased by the millions. The elephant kind, because that's what the mammoth is, the elephant kind, it leaves the ark. And you can see now the climate is getting colder, drier, and windier. And look at the mammoths go extinct after 700 years. They go extinct. They're not the only ones that go extinct. It's like the extinction of the massive, the large ones. So here's the Irish elk, seven feet tall, a rack, 10 feet across. Are some of you guys hunters, you want the rack 10 feet across? That'd be pretty, but hey, you went extinct. Uh, the woolly rhino, 11 feet long, went extinct. Saber-toothed tiger went extinct. Giant sloths went extinct. Uh, in North America, we had horses, camels, saber-toothed tigers, short-faced uh, bears, sloths, mastodons. Mo all of them went extinct. 70% of all large animals over 100 pounds went extinct at the end of the Ice Age. There wasn't the food to feed them. And in, in uh, Australia, we have giant kangaroos, we have giant wombats, they went extinct. The extinction of the massive size animals. Now, when we look at what uh, it takes to have an ice age, it takes very special conditions to create an ice age. It does. It takes very special conditions. I know when I was traveling with these glaciologists up in northern Minnesota, and they were going on showing, we looked at the moraines, just look at striated rocks, we looked at all these things about the evidence of the ice age. And repeatedly they were saying, oh, it takes special conditions, it takes special conditions. And finally I raised my hand, I go, hey, what are those special conditions to make the ice age? And they go, Julie, we don't know. We've been trying to tell you this. We don't know what causes an ice age. That's what these secular evolutionists say. And I'm sitting there going, I know. I know what caused the ice age. I know. Hey, the Genesis flood caused the one and only ice age. Because they don't know. They think there's like four ice ages with some maybe 50 of them or maybe there's 18. They don't know how many ice ages there are or have been. And they don't know how they came about. They're confused by it. But our creation science people have been doing their due diligence and have shown and proven scientifically that the Genesis flood caused the one and only ice age. The one and only ice age. So if you sit down and talk to your kids, let's watch the ice age. Go ahead. And then they say, hey, you know what caused it? Have you ever thought about this? Let me tell you. The Genesis flood leads right into scripture at that point. So the ice age took 700 years for it to build up. So when you look at the timeline, right after the flood, set, I mean, two, 500 years to build up, 200 years to melt down. That's what went on. The Genesis flood caused the one and only ice age. And so these are books that I like. You can get the Frozen in Time. That's online. But I also do like for kids and for adults, I always start with the kid books first to get the big picture, and then I go heavy duty with the others. So... Those are nice books if you're into that. Uh, is climate changing? I'm just tagging this on along here because invariably somebody will ask me this, and so I'm just tagging along right here. Is climate changing? Yes. Is it man-made? Eh, I don't think so. Because you look in the past. Look at, we had the medieval warming. We had the little ice age right here, which half the population of Iceland died at that point. Then during the 20th and 21st century, there was a warming 
which results in greater harvest. Yes, when you have a warming, there's more harvest. And what is it doing today? It's, we see the temperature not going up. Oh, but this summer I saw the temperatures, they're just terrible. Okay, we have El Nino, but they are not telling you about that under-submerged volcano that erupted on Tonga back in 2022, in January. They're not telling you about that. That caused a lot of commotion, because it didn't send up the, all the aerosols, but it sent up the water, the, the water, and that's what's in the air and causing some problems. So, and that's just one volcano. So overall, though, it's declining. Now, what do they use for testing? They use many different things for testing, but here's the Greenland ice core. And notice right here, you can see when they have on their picture, they'll say they'll count like the rings and they say, that's the rings, oh, that's a one year, two year, three year. But when they get with ice pushing down so much, you can't tell the rings, so they have to use different testing mechanisms, like with the dust and stuff, they use different tests to see what the years are. But then what I say is, hey, let's look at the Lost Squadron. This is where in 1942, they were on a secret mission to go and bomb Europe. And then they ran into a blizzard. They crash landed their planes. And when they crash landed it, well, a number of years ago, some people were saying, hey, all we have to do is go brush the snow off and fly them and so we can have them at the air shows. So when they got up there to look for them, the lost squadron, they couldn't find them. They couldn't find them. In fact, they were 250 feet below the surface. So maybe those ice cores are snow events, not years. That's right. See, the glacier girl, they hauled her out. They only hauled one because it was very expensive to get, it all, get her all out, but you can see glacier girl. So they have a different timeline than the biblical timeline. They have, well, they think the Earth is 4 billion years old. We think it's 6,000. So of course they're gonna say those core, those levels are different. We say ice events, we look at the lost squadron as one of the proofs for it. But more than that, uh, we wanna look back at the, um, are we warming up? Okay, I wanna show you, these are the gases that comprise Earth's atmosphere. Notice right here, there's a nitrogen, yes. And here's the oxygen. And then here, what they're all concerned about is this carbon dioxide. Here's the carbon dioxide, that little tiny magenta right there. Okay, now that I have that, I want to show you right here. Uh, this is what you usually see in your graphs. They say, oh, look at the greenhouse gases. Look at how huge the carbon dioxide is. Really? Let's take a look at it. Do you realize that water vapor is a greenhouse gas? I kind of like water, it makes rain. But look at, here's the CO2 right here. It's that little bit right there. So this is what you tend to see in graphs. Don't be fooled, say, let's see all the greenhouse gases. It's water also. And I should mention that actually, carbon dioxide is plant food. That's right. When you wanna have good plants growing, it's carbon dioxide. They give off oxygen for us. And in fact, if you have a greenhouse, they will actually sell you a carbon dioxide generator so you can have larger plants to sell. Carbon dioxide is plant food. And it actually, we are seeing a, when we have lots of carbon dioxide, we're seeing a greening of the world. But let's say that you're just like, hey, there's too much green. Okay, this is what algae does in the oceans. Algae grows more. And so it's pulling, using, giving, you know, using the carbon dioxide, using the carbon dioxide. And then when it dies, it takes all that to the bottom of the ocean. So it is actually helping to remove the carbon dioxide. God has built into our earth 
systems to help us to be able to be a-okay living here. Also, there's man's ingenuity. And man's ingenuity can solve things. What really saved the whales? You remember we, how we used to use whale oil for everything? What saved the whales? This is Titusville, Pennsylvania. That's where they discovered oil. That saved the whales. Also, what helped uh, Los Angeles in the 1950s? All that smog, the catalytic converter. Yes, we did. We, we looked at nature. We knew what the problem. We also looked at people. We said we have to have both. Have to both work together. And we solved the problem. That's right. Do we have to be afraid of like a global warming or climate change or whatever we want to call it today? Do we have to be afraid of that? No. Because look in Genesis 8.22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God's got our back. He's going to be in control. And so we don't have to worry about this climate change. And if you want to worry about climate change, look at the Ice Age. Look what happened right after the flood. Look at the drying out of the Southwest, Mesa Verde, and all these places, the Sahara Desert. I mean, and that wasn't man-made, okay? That was just climate changing. Does climate change? Yes. Weather changes? Yes. What can we say? So anyway, now you know the rest of the story as I walk through from creation to the races, Tower of Babel, and now we're at right here with the flood, and now we just are moving on from there. So thank you so much, and if you guys have questions, I'm willing to hear that. So go ahead. Let's give her a hand. It was phenomenal, wasn't it? Incredible job. One of the best explanations I've ever heard on a singular ice age. Well done. Thank you. Julie, well thank done. Um, I've said it many times. I'll say it again. A biblical worldview is the best explanation of all of reality, of all the data that you see. What best explains it? A biblical worldview explains it. You will not find anything better. So think, think about that. You stay with Jesus on this. You stay with God on this. There's no better explanation out in the world. Uh, at all. There's things that can inform your viewpoint, but the Bible gives you the true story. Um, do you have any questions real quick for Julie before we wrap it up? I think the resource table is still open, and that'll be there for you right as we dismiss if you haven't hit that yet. But any questions at all for Julie? All right, Julie. You can come up and ask later on yes. if you don't want to do it in front because right. I already had some people asking about aliens yes. and other things. So if you yeah. want to come over, come over and we'll talk. So thank well you for done. having me. Okay, you're dismissed. Have a great day. Yes. Okay.